Hello, this is Lee with Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm, and this is a very special episode because I have a guest on the line with me today, Mark Smith of Flatwood Bee Farm in Locust, North Carolina, generously agreed to be my first practice guinea pig interview, and if you're hearing this, then it worked. So Mark, hello, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I am doing so good. Now that I have all the wires plugged in and everything set up, and it it, it looks like a control station of an airplane here on my desk. Oh, you got to love technology, especially with us us uh, country North Carolina people. You know, you got to adapt and get used to where technology is now. But it's I, a great I'll thing. say. <laughs> well, Mark, yeah. I wanted to interview you um, first, just because. I really have come to respect your beekeeping. I heard you interviewed on the Contrary Beekeeper podcast, and I loved a lot of the things that you were talking about, and I had seen some of that on Facebook. So my first question to you is pretty general. If you would tell me how you got started in bees. Okay. Well, uh, how I got started, um, I started in 2010. Um, I had the beekeeping seed planted in my head by some friends. And so I went and took the local uh, Stanley County Beekeepers Association school in January, like most people do, and uh, took the school. And, of course, you know, all these schools are timed about the time that you can get packages and nukes and stuff like that. So I got two nukes from a local place. And... uh, (laughs) successfully killed both packages over the course of that year so uh, I figured that maybe I should go back and take the class again (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a pretty classic beekeeper start to me oh gosh yeah but I I didn't give up because I you know by this point I was hooked so I went and took the class again and got two more packages and uh, the rest is history I've, I've had bees ever since well, that's cool. I, I see you got hooked, um, just like I did. And the thing that makes you particularly interesting to me is, um, well, you've been keeping bees about the same length of time that I have, and you are one yep. of the few beekeepers that um, does not call themselves treatment-free, but you are chemical-free. And as another chemical-free person, I don't find that many of us out there. <laughs> True. Well, you know, um, you know, if you had to have a title, well, let's get some definitions straight the way I look at it. And, and I'll preface just about everything that we're going to talk about. This is the way I look at it. You know, every beekeeper has a different way of looking at things. And, and you know, that's one of the magical parts of this art is we all do the same thing, but we do it a little differently. But as far as a definition, you know, in the in the big world of treatment free, you got this big umbrella of treatment free beekeepers, and and to me, underneath that, you've got what what's called natural beekeepers, and you've got what's what people call chemical free beekeepers. Now, to me, a natural beekeeper is someone, obviously, who, who uses no chemicals, no anything. They just basically put bees in a box, sing kumbaya over them, <laughs> you know, maybe burn a little bit of incense, and say, 
wow, well, you know, this is great. Well, to me, that's that's not beekeeping. That's bee having, and um, and that's not what I do. Um, what I the reason I kind of consider myself a, a chemical free is because obviously I don't use any chemicals to combat disease or pest. I don't put anything into or take anything out of the colony to uh, to combat disease and pest. And that's kind of why I stick with that term. You know, if we everything in life now seems like it has to have a title, and that's kind of the that's kind of the reason I I look at myself as not so much a treatment free beekeeper, but a chemical free beekeeper. And that me too. I I don't use the term treatment free. Um, just even though I am mite treatment free, um, and I don't use antibiotics, et cetera, but the, so, so many people that I run into, the way they hear that is exactly what you described of, I'm just going to go out, put my bees in the hive and then, you know, look at them in their doorway twice a year and call it good. Yeah. And I want to distinguish because I do, um, like you, I do a lot of um, of interventions and in what I consider actual beekeeping. So, in your yard, like about how many ballpark, how many hives do you run? Um, I flex anywhere from thirty to fifty production colonies. Now I've got, uh, and we can talk about this later if you want to. I've got a, I've got several. Uh, what I call resource hives that I really don't count them in the, in the colony count because I mess with them so much. Um, I'm pulling frames of brood and having them pull uh, a new comb for me that I really don't count them in the mix. I guess if I did, Oh gosh, let's see. I'd probably sometimes it's close to 70. So, so yeah, but I really don't count those in my in my hive count just because I mess with them so much. Right, and and that you just already uh, you dove into something that's very near and dear my heart. Um, now, when you have resource hives, are you talking about uh, the kind that I saw first from Michael Palmer, where it's got a um, like a ten frame base divided up, and so then you either have like a five over five or a four over four that type of thing. Yes, I run a lot of uh, four over four um, configurations, but 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 actually, I mean, you don't have to. And basically, that's what it is. It's a ten frame box that's divided. The bottom ten frame box is divided in the middle, and you've got four frames on either side. And you've got uh, I've got specially made um, supers that can go on that. They're a little smaller than a regular five frame nuke. And you can just super these things up and just do all kind of stuff with them. But they don't have to be that configuration. I mean, you can consider a uh, five-frame nuke a resource hive. The only reason I think it's really got that term is because that colony has a job. It does certain things for you. It gives you um, brood for splits or to beef up production colonies or or you can give them uh and i'm i'm totally uh natural comb i don't use any foundation whatsoever you can give these colonies during a flow in the spring um you can give these 
on these blank frames, and it's amazing how fast they will pull comb for you that you can use in other places. So, yeah, the, the term resource hive is really more toward what they do and not so much the configuration that you have them in. It's just I, I like that 4 over 4 configuration because, to me, it's just easier to manage. Well, I like I like that you're calling it a resource hive because I, I tend to call them just nukes. And I can tell with beginners in particular that it's not always clear. They just think, oh, it's an extra hive or a spare or a backup in case of loss. But like you, to me, they're the ultimate toolbox. You know, whatever I'm missing, I can probably find it in one of my nukes, which sometimes I too super. Um, so I like that, that the resource hive really yep. says exactly what it is. And, and 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 some people call them support hives or support colonies. Right. So it really doesn't matter. So. Yes, and that's what I have started when I teach classes, um, just trying to get it in. And I wish they would do this in the B schools, um, and maybe they are, of, of um, to where it's like whatever, however many hives, actual full hives, if you want to call them production hives or just grown-up hives you have, to just plan on having some of these small baby hives around because that to me changed, that was the, that changed everything um, in my bee yard when I started using those because, for example, if I lost a queen, it was no longer a big deal. It was just pick a nuke, pull the queen. Is that what you're finding? Oh, Absolutely. Um, what I try to do, um, in my out yards, uh, whether that out yard is earmarked to produce honey or nukes or whatever, for every 10 production colonies, I try to have at least, um, two resource colonies, if not four resource colonies in that apiary to support what I've, what I've got going on. That makes so, sense to me. Now, are you raising yeah. your own queens, Mark? I am. I haven't bought any bees, so even so much as a queen, since 2011. I raise everything, and I've never been queen, uh, beeless. And that I just love that because, I mean, to me, that is what I talk about all the time. We, I think we hit sustainable beekeeping when we can keep ourselves supplied in bees uh, without having to go to packages or nukes. From other people, that's not to say we couldn't have a catastrophe and need to, but um, but that is that is my goal. And so, how well? Anytime you mention chemical free, or um, people immediately say, "Oh, you must have terrible losses." So, tell me about your loss rates and what how you deal with that. Well, obviously, in the beginning, um, the loss rate was high, but that's that was just when I, when I first went chemical free. Um, and that's a whole story in itself. Uh, why I did, why I took the plunge. Um, initially, the losses were high, but I never went down to no bees. And 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 I I split what what overwintered. And in the beginning, I mean, the very first year, first actually first two years, I had seventy percent loss. And uh, I just kept splitting from what overwintered and, and, and honing down the genetics that, that I had. And uh, last year, um, my winter loss was 30%. Now, 
the way I look at it, 30% loss to me is kind of in line with what would naturally not overwinter in nature. Um, so it, it gets better and better every year. Um, and, and I'm glad because I hate losing bees. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell me about this story of how, how you took the plunge and wh- what possessed you to go from packaged bees to chemical free. Well, you know, you being here in North Carolina, you know, we have a wonderful, uh, apiary inspector program. Yes. And, uh, uh, in 2013, I decided that I wanted to try to sell some bees. You know, not a lot, just a few. So in the spring of, of 2014, I had our, our local uh, apiary inspector come out and do um, inspection in my bee yard. And then I just had one, one yard. And we come to this one colony. It was huge. I mean, it was a double deep. Because, you know, that's what we're taught we're supposed to do. Right. And, <laughs> and I think it had three or four honey supers on it. I mean, it was just a beast. It was huge. And we got to that colony, and she said, Mark, let's do a mic check on this one. And I said, okay, let's do it. And at this point, I hadn't been keeping bees about three or four years. So it's like, okay, cool. We're going to do something I hadn't done before. And... uh she did the mic check. We quit. We quit counting at thirty mites. Oh no! Well, under the normal train of thought, what we're told is a mite count of thirty in a uh, three hundred B sample is like a death sentence. And there's no telling. If we'd have kept counting, there's no telling how many we would have found. Well, we put the colony back together, and she looked at me and she said, "Mark." Did you see any disease in this colony? I said, no. And there was no deformed wing virus, no parasitic mite syndrome, no nothing, but a big colony. And, you know, at that point, because I had always struggled with putting uh, pesticides in a colony because I actually have my state pesticide license. I never did was comfortable treating a colony treating a bunch of bugs, trying to kill a bug on a bug. <laughs> yes. And I thought, you know, I might have something here. So I went home and I made a conscious decision that I was going to go back over there and and start splitting that colony and get off of chemicals. And I did. And I've been chemical-free ever since. And I can tell you with certainty I still have daughters um, from the queen in that colony still in my operation. So, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of why I went chemical free. Um, do I know where them bees came from? Nope. Was it a swarm I caught? I have no clue. Wish I'd have kept better records then, but I didn't. But I knew I had something special because they were they were able to live with the mite pressure and uh and that's in in the at the end of the day that's what we want so that's my little story yeah to re- to reach that balance i'm i'm with you on that now do you do mite counts now i do yep i, I still do a lot of people scratch their heads it's like well 
you're a chemical free beekeeper, you're, you you know, even if you have a high mite load, what are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to do anything, but I still want to know. I want to know, you know, if I've got a huge, robust colony with no signs of disease and I've got, you know, a, a higher mite count, well, you know, that tells me something about the genetics in that box. And then if I've got another colony that looks much the same, I see disease, like the form wing virus, but I have a lower mite colony, well, you know, or mite count, you know, that tells me something too. I still want to be educated as to what my bees are doing. You know, how are they handling the mites? Because the colonies that might have a lower mite count, but they're not handling the mite pressure as good as the other ones, those are colonies that I will not try to propagate. You know, I won't I won't split from them. Right. The one over here the one over here that has a higher mite count, but they're healthy, that means a lot to me. Um so yeah, that's that's why I, I do mite counts, I do alcohol washes and uh and I think it's it's something that everybody should do. I I agree, and I got the same question, like, why? <laughs> now, I, t- I do tend to be more um, intervention if, if it's earlier in the season. And like you, if I see any sign of any sign of disease, I kind of mark that hive and um, absolutely don't breed from them, but also might do something like give them a brood break um, just, to, just to kind of knock them back so that I'll still have the living population. But, um, so let me ask you this. So you, uh, the hives that look the best to you, those are going to be your breeders. Um, do you make your Queens strictly from splits or do you use other methods? Well, I do, uh, I do walkaway splits. Well, here locally, me and a beekeeping buddy of mine, we call them walkaway, walk back to splits. I think, you know, Brian. I do. Um, <laughs> I graft. Um, I do what I also do what's called a, uh, and this is a lot of fun because if you ever want to see just what a colony can do, this is a lot of fun. I do what's called compression, um, queen rearing where you take a big colony that you want to propagate. And if you've got double deeps or however, whatever your configuration is, shake them all. Well, first you take the queen out and shake them all down into one box. Well, you've stimulated several uh, things that colonies do when they become queenless. Emergency, swarm, supersedure, all those instincts that they have, you hit every one of them because they're queenless, they're crowded, you know, and it's amazing how many queen cells you can cut out of a colony like that. That is Um, very cool. I have not heard that exact combo of... Of a split, a compression. Do you call it a compression split? Yeah, that's just what I call it. That's cool. It's, 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 it's amazing what what they'll do. I've got I've got photos um, somewhere where I've I've d- done that to a colony and shook all of them down into one deep. And there's so many bees in that colony that they totally cover the box and you can't even see the box. And I mean, there's nothing to cut anywhere from 15, 20, or 25 queen cells out of them. Um, 
So, yeah, that's a, if you can't graft, if you can't see good enough to graft, and you just want to play with your bees, that's a great way to get queen cells. See, I love that because, I mean, I love teaching people to use queen cells because a lot of times if you mention queen rearing, instantly it goes to grafting, which is fun and, and it's nice and it, it's not that hard once you get the hang of it, but it requires just a bunch of stuff that if if you're not going to do a lot of this, you just, in my opinion, don't, don't need to worry about. So I love... Um, what I call it frame-based queen rearing. And that, that's a very cool. And you also just described something that has caused me to go more toward natural comb. And because I had started out with um, mostly plastic foundation and wooden frames, and it's so frustrating to see 10 gorgeous queen cells on one frame. And with a plastic frame, I can only use one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But with natural comb, it's like it's all about my scissor skills, you know. Yep, so that's great. That's right. Now tell me about this. uh, Describe a walk-away, walk-back split. Okay. What a walk-away, walk-back split is, is um, when you decide to split a colony to make a nuke and you take a a frame of, uh, of resources, whether it's nectar, capped honey, a little bit of pollen on it, put it in a nuke, get you a frame that's got eggs on it, a frame with maybe some uh, cap brood on it, you put it in a nuke, and with the bees that are on the frames, and maybe shake a a frame or two of bees in it, however you want to do it, and you you isolate them, and what that does is that that stimulates the, the colony to start forming queen cells. Well, what you do is from that date, go back to that colony in five days and open it back up and look at, look at the queen cells that they have pulled. Any queen cells that within five days they have capped, what they've done is they've chosen a larva that is too old, um, in my opinion. And what I'll do is I'll destroy that queen cell. That way you get the queen cells in that split that are unopened. Now, why is that a benefit? The best queens, the longer a queen is fed royal jelly, the better queen she'll be. So if you open that colony and you see queen cells that have already been capped, they didn't feed that larva for so long. If you, the ones that, that are uncapped, they're going to get more royal jelly than the other ones, and those are the queens that you want. Um, so, so that's that's what a walk away, walk back to split is. <laughs> Excellent, because I had heard uh, Brian talk about that that term with the whole idea of it being a safety mechanism. That thing we're all told that emergency queens aren't um, the quality of uh, uh, grafted queens. And um, Sam Comfort is doing some really interesting things about having, about doing, you know, what are technically emergency queens and then having them compared at the Tarpy Lab. Have you seen that video where he talks about that? Yeah. Yeah, David Tarpy is doing a lot of great research right now to try to prove or disprove the general consensus of, of the qualities of those queens. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of what he says because that's either going to, prove us wrong or prove us right or prove that the bees know best. Um, 
that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that information. Excellent. And yes, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to hearing more because boy, if if it if it were to turn out that the quality is comparable, then that simplifies it uh, for a lot of people. Well, okay, Mark. Let me switch gears here just a little bit. If you, when you are, and I know you're giving presentations at B clubs in your area, aren't you? Oh my gosh, I have just started doing that. Oh, you talking about nervous? <laughs> <laughs> I have, yeah. Well, I've seen some of the video, and you look pretty chill. So uh, you see, well, so what? What if you're addressing a room of new beekeepers? What are some of your favorite tips to give them for success? Um, I think some of the biggest successes or things that I've done to be able to successfully be be chemical free is the most important one is you have to master the art of the split. You have to be able to do increase. Um, I think sometimes new beekeepers, um, once they have learned how to keep their bees alive by by whatever means and they really don't think past that that's where failure starts to come in yet in the whole chemical free mindset you have to be in a conscious mode of increase um not so much for um increasing colony counts but you have to be able to replace um, dead outs, you know, and not have to buy bees. You have your own bees. And in that process, you're honing down your genetics that will survive there where you live locally. And I think that's one of the, uh, the another big thing about the way I keep bees is local genetics that survive where I am. That's another big, uh, that's a really big um, sticking point that I talk about a lot. And, um, another thing is, you know, you mentioned, um, brood breaks. Um, I actually do what's called a brood break, but, you know, and when I do these presentations, I talk about how, how I do that and why that's a part of my, my management system. Um, and people look at me, it's like, well, wait, that's a treatment. And I look at them, it's like, no. Not the way I look at it, because the way we have kept, we keep bees and the way we educate beekeepers now, one of the biggest things that we fight against is swarming. Well, to the way I look at it, swarming, and I tell people this in, in the presentation, swarming is a natural, not only a natural instinct to, for the colony to uh, increase or propagate its genetics, but it's also a built-in brood break. You know, that's a natural defense mode against mites or other uh, predators. You know, in the colony. So I think I think the uh, some of the the two most important things to do is learn how to split your colonies, learn how to make bees, and learn their natural progression of what a colony does over the course of the year and know why they do it. Um, because I, I, you know, I don't consider the brood break as a treatment. I consider it a way 
that I'm facilitating that colony to do what it naturally wants to do. And a side effect of that is a little bit of mite control. So that's a great thing, I think. I totally agree. And like like you, <laughs> the brood break, and I've gotten into many an argument on uh, Facebook um, about the, the brood break being a treatment. But to me, if 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 the action is something that the bees are doing themselves when they are untended out in the woods, then if I mimic that natural process, I don't either uh, consider that a treatment. Um, to me, it's just like it's swarming, but you keep to get to keep both halves is how I look at it. Absolutely. It's much easier to catch a swarm in your box then go try to get it out of a tree. <laughs> I'll say. I know, I know we, and a lot of beekeepers just love to go catch a swarm, but I, if it is not, you know, chest high in a bush, I'm just not interested. <laughs> I like my bees in my boxes. Yep. Well, Mark, I have had a great time talking to you today, and I hope this recording thing works out so that I can post this next week for everybody. Oh, I, I have really enjoyed it too, and I consider it an honor that you asked me to to be on your podcast because when you started this podcast it was like oh yes a chemical free beekeeper in north carolina and a podcast oh i mean you know that was just awesome so i I appreciate the invitation and I appreciate what you do for beekeeping. Oh, Mark, you're so, thank you so much. And I hope to be in the neighborhood one time when you're giving one of your presentations and just know that you do not look nervous in the videos that I've seen. So, <laughs> I'm a good actor. All right. You have a great day. All right. You too. Thank you.